Good morning. You awake? Yeah. Thank you. I, I hear that. I need that. We drove back from Spokane yesterday in the rain and the mist, and it was miserable. I'm glad to be here with you all this morning. Uh, when I was in the fifth grade, uh, our entire class went on a field trip to Spokane Falls Community College. <laughs> Someone's been there. Uh, beautiful campus. Uh, and I think this was the first time that I encountered uh, a motivational speaker. And one of the things that they did was they gave us a little quarter sheet of paper with a paragraph on it. And what we were supposed to do was take that home, look in the mirror every morning, and recite this daily affirmation to begin each day. And I don't remember all that was said in that paragraph, but I remember one sentence that stuck with me. And I was supposed to look at my fifth grade eyes in the mirror and say, I am the most important person in my universe. And even as a fifth grader, (laughs) I sensed that that was kind of a load of crap. (laughs) Um, And uh, that phrase has stuck with me as this, like, what? Yeah. Um, It reminded me years later when I was old enough to watch Saturday Night Live, uh, Daily Affirmations with Stuart Smalley. Anybody remember that? Where he would have guests come on and, Uh, He was incredibly awkward, and he would have them turn to a mirror and say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Yeah. (laughs) Now, there's nothing wrong with with a a daily affirmation, right? Starting our day with uh, some sort of affirmation of what is true about us, about the world. Um, Actually, the church has been at this for a long time. We just call it devotions. (laughs) Um, Well... What matters, though, is if what you're affirming is actually true or not, Uh, right? I am not the most important person in my universe. And even the phrase, my universe, I struggle with that a little bit, right? If if you you base your life on that affirmation, that you are the most important person in in your universe, that will affect how you interact with other people, right? That will affect and impact what you think about God, if you even think anything about God. And at some point... That's going to create some major conflict when you come into contact with someone else who also believes that they are the most important person in their universe. Uh, That's a recipe for disaster. We are... um, Oh, but but there is a value, though, in framing life, right? In, In framing our day with an affirmation of what is true. What it does is it sets everything that we're going to experience in a context, right? To affirm what is true and then to go into our work where maybe there's a challenge at work, we then experience work in light of what we have affirmed to be true. So it's important that what we affirm to be true is actually true. Um, We're going to start a new series this Sunday uh, looking at the book of Ephesians. And one of the things that Paul does at the beginning of this book is he lays out an affirmation of what is true. What is ultimately true? And it turns out that what is most true is good news. So I want to give us just a little bit of background on Ephesians before we dive into the first few verses. Uh, Ephesus, this city where Paul is writing to the uh, the early church there, was this port town. Uh, right on the coast of Turkey, looked out across the Aegean Sea to Greece. Um, It was a a thriving 
economic hub and cultural hub in this region. Um, lots of diversity there. People came there because of the economic uh, opportunities that were there. It was on tr major trade routes. It had a really nice natural port. And uh, so it was a city of, of cultural influence, of economic influence, a bustling seaport, a very diverse city, uh, nothing at all like the Seattle that we live in, right? Uh, lots of, or lots of uh, uh, consistency there with, with where we live these 2,000 years from then. Paul is writing a letter to the early church here. And Paul had, had spent time in Ephesus on one of his missionary journeys. He had, he had preached the gospel. He had gathered together an early, uh, this band of believers, this band of people who were following Jesus on the way. Uh, and, and unlike many of the cities that Paul visited, he actually got to spend several years in Ephesus, growing this church, teaching them, discipling them. When he left, he left Timothy in charge, this young pastor of this church that when we read his letters, Paul's letters to Timothy later, he's, Timothy is the pastor of Ephesus, or the, the church in Ephesus. Later on in Paul's life, he ends up in prison in Rome. And from Rome, uh, he writes a number of letters to churches in a variety of cities. And many of these letters, uh, he's responding to a report that he gets back from someone who had visited those churches, right? So whether it was Philippi or Colossae, uh, Paul hears a report of what's going on in the church. And, and if there's an issue, right, uh, maybe a false teaching that had arisen, or there's some moral issue that the church is struggling with, he addresses that in the letter. And that kind of colors the letter. And when we read it, we kind of have to do a little work behind the scenes to figure out, okay, what was going on there that Paul was addressing when he wrote this? With Ephesians, we have kind of a unique letter where there's not a specific issue or challenge that Paul's addressing. And instead, what he gets to do is he gets to expound on the beauty of the gospel and on what the gospel looks like when it's lived out in our everyday lives. And so Ephesians is, is really divided very nicely in half. We have three chapters where Paul just is marveling at the beauty of the gospel, at the goodness of the good news of Jesus Christ. And then the last three chapters, he expounds on what that looks like lived out. How do we develop relationships with people that are different than us in the church because of the gospel? Uh, what do our marriages look like because of the gospel? How do we approach work, whether we're employees or employers? How do we, how do, we do that in light of the gospel? There's another theme uh, that, that weaves its way through Ephesians, and that's one of growth and maturity. And I think as I've been reading it in preparation for, uh, for working through this on Sundays with you all, I think that's one that has struck me as uh, a message that I hope that we can take to heart, that none of us have arrived as a fully mature Christian, <laughs> that we all have room to grow. Uh, and, and growth can be challenging. Growth can mean change, which can mean pain. But as Paul lays out in this letter, this, the, the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of a life lived, uh, rooted in the gospel, I think we'll see that that call towards growth, that call towards maturity is also a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. So let's begin Ephesians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles and you want to open up. on page 1167 in my Bible. I don't know <laughs> what that is in yours. It'll also be on the screen if you want. It's letters from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, 
the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves in him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Lord, what a rich passage. Would you be our teacher this morning? Would you speak to us what we need to hear? Remind us of what is ultimately true. That we might affirm that, not just in our minds, but in our hearts and with our lives. Holy Spirit, help us. We pray all of this in the strong name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Uh, maybe you caught this in, in how I, I was reading this, but this is, uh, this is I actually uh, interrupted Paul in what is essentially the longest run-on sentence that you've ever encountered. In the Greek, verses 3 through 14 are all one long run-on sentence. And you get this sense that Paul, just he, once he gets started, he can't stop because it's so good. The good news is so good that he can't stop talking about it. He can't stop marveling at just how good the gospel is, just how kind God has been towards us. There's a phrase that he repeats in this section that you probably heard as well, uh, in Christ or through Christ, right? This is a major theme for Paul, that, that what's foundational to the, this story of what is true, what is most true is that you and I are in Christ And so when we get to the second half of the book and we start talking about these practical areas of life, right? Marriage, work, family, uh, relationships within the church. um, There can be a temptation to sort of moralize it, to say like, oh, these are a bunch of ought to's. Like we ought to be better husbands and better wives. Um, But really everything is rooted in this idea of being in Christ. And that's going to filter through this entire book. Paul begins by locating himself and the Ephesian church in the story of God, the story of what God is doing in the world. And Paul sees everything that God is doing as in Christ. Everything is wrapped up in who Christ is and what Christ came to accomplish. God does his work in Christ, and he brings us into a relationship with him in Christ. And everything that we do as we live out of gratitude is done in in Christ, just repeats this phrase over and over, kind of hammering it into our heads. So he locates us at the beginning of this book, being in Christ, being a part of this story that God is, is at work bringing to life in the world. This is 
reality, right? When I say story, I don't mean story like a fairy tale. I mean there's a sense of a beginning and a middle and an end to what God is doing. And we get a sense of that here in this first passage, right? He's chosen us before time began, right? Way back at the beginning, before the beginning. God has chosen us. And at the end of all things, he's going to bring everything together in unity in Christ. And we find ourselves here in the middle, filled with gratitude and awe for what God is doing. So when we wake up each morning, rather than finding ourselves as the center of the story, Paul reminds us here and reminds the church in Ephesus that actually we wake up and we are entering into the story that God is writing in the world. We enter into what God is up to in the world. And so to try to highlight all that he says here, uh, this story, the, the reality, that's what we're saying when we're saying story. We're saying this is what is ultimately true. This is the affirmation of what is most true, that God has blessed us with everything that we need in Christ, that God has chosen us, right? It's not, it's not our doing. So the comfort there is that we can't undo it. Right? God's chosen us. We've been adopted and brought into God's family as his kids. We've been given God's love, a free gift, this grace that he's lavished on us. That's one of my favorite words to read in this passage. It just it feels right coming off the lips, right? Lav, this grace has been lavished on us. Now, outside of Christ... We find ourselves dead, lost, slaves to sin. But in Christ, we find ourselves full of life, forgiven, and free, truly free. There's an invitation to agree with that, to say, yes, I want that. I want to be in Christ. And we hear this invitation from God himself who delights in doing this, right? That's one of the, my favorite phrases in this passage, that God, it brings him joy to do this, to save people, to forgive people, to choose people, to love them. The, the New Living Translation uh, says it this way. This is what God wanted to do, all of this. And it gave him great pleasure. And finally, as we've already said, there's a, there's a culmination of all of this. There's a culmination of all that's got, that God is doing, which is bringing all things in creation together in unity under Christ, under Christ's authority. This is what is true about God, about you and I, about the world. It reminds me, actually, of a, a, a part in the, the first Narnia book the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where Aslan has given himself up in the place of Edmund. He has sacrificed himself, and the White Witch thinks that she's won. And she leaves, and all that's left uh, is Lucy and Susan, and they're weeping, and they're consoling each other. Uh, And I don't know if you remember the story, but these little mice come, and they start nibbling at the ropes. They're holding Aslan to the stone table. And then there's this earthquake, and the stone table cracks, and Aslan's gone. and they hear his voice behind them, right? And they're confused. They're so happy, but they're very confused. And Susan says, what does it all mean? And Aslan says this, it means that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still, which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. She only had 
part of the story. She only had part of what was true. But if she could have looked back a little further into the stillness and darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. For us, the deeper magic, the deeper story, the story that is more true than the other stories we hear is what Paul is describing here in the gospel, that God pursues his people, chooses them, calls them out, loves them, forgives them, puts a new life in them, a new energy to live life out of gratitude for all that he's done. The challenge for us, I think, is that we hear so many other stories, don't we, that would seem to set reality for us, that would seem to define who we are and how things work in the world. But Paul begins this letter by saying, let's, let's start out with a daily affirmation together, right? Let's look in the mirror and let's remind ourselves of who God is, of who we are in Christ. And then let's go and then we go, we go into work. We go to wake up our kids, or our kids come and wake us up. And we experience the rest of life through this lens of what is true about who we are, about who God is. I don't know if you've ever woken up and the first thing you've done is check the news feed on your phone or Facebook or something like that. Um, I have to confess that there are times when that is the first thing that I do, sometimes even before my feet hit the floor. And that sets my day up in a certain way. Uh, and it, it tells me a story about who I am and what the world is like. And if I let that be the defining story of my life, uh, it's pretty discouraging. Uh, I feel pretty defeated before the day has begun pretty discouraged about the state of things, pretty helpless in terms of what I can actually do to make any sort of impact in what I'm reading. But if the story that I am reading to begin my day, if the affirmation, if my daily affirmation is these first 10 verses of Ephesians, well then, when I open my email, or when I show up at work, or when I walk into the green bean, or Whatever it is that you all do, first, one of the first things in the morning, you, we, we experience that in light of what we've already read, of our, what we've already affirmed as the deeper story, the, the deeper magic, the truer story. Maybe it's even waking up and maybe the first thing that you experience is this sense of your own inadequacy. The sense of, I, I know I'm failing as a husband or as a wife or as a parent or as a worker in whatever field you're doing or I'm, I'm struggling as a student. I don't get it. I'm not learning. <laughs> I'm, I'm in over my head. Um, reading these verses sets that sense of inadequacy in its context that you are loved by the God of the universe forgiven, right? No sin that you wrestle with ultimately defines you. But rather, God looks at you and he sees Christ. You're in Christ. 
this affirmation of what is true helps set everything else that we experience in its proper context. God as king of the universe, us as his beloved children, Christ as Lord of all. As I said, we're going to work our way through this book, and there's going to be a lot of opportunity to think through some of the practical implications of this. But I think for now, for this morning, it is enough to simply rest in this truth, to simply remind ourselves again of who God is and who we are in Christ. Maybe for some of you, there's an invitation here this morning to step into that place, into this story for the first time. To respond uh, with open hands like we've been doing. To respond with a yes to God's yes to you. God's chosen you. He, he, He wants all these things to be true for you. It gives him great delight, great joy. Perhaps uh, this morning is the chance to simply say yes to that. Um, As Jen mentioned, uh, she and I will be available to pray with anyone that wants to after the service. If that's your story, come forward. We'd love to pray with you. I hope that this table, this, this feast of the bread and the cup that we come to every week can be for us that affirmation of what is true that reminder each week that as we go to wherever it is that we go, that we go in this reality, in the reality that the Lord is king, that he loves us, that he's equipped us for everything that we're going to face because we are in Christ. That is our fundamental reality, our fundamental identity, that you and I are in Christ. This passage is just one of the more beautiful ones in all of Scripture, so I want to read it to us one more time before we come to communion. Let these verses sink into your heart. Let them remind you of who God is and of who you are in Christ. We'll leave a little bit of silence to continue in this posture of prayer, uh, and then we'll come to the table. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family, by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness. He is so rich in grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave all our sins. He has showered showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. And God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this, this is the plan. At the right time, 
He will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. Lord, as we have already prayed, there are things to let go of, things to die to. And we confess before you the lies that we have believed. Lies that have led us into sin. Lies that have led us into self-doubt, discouragement. And what we need this morning is to hear your voice reminding us of what is true about you and your great love for us that went so far as to die for us. We need to hear your voice reminding us what is true about us. That if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. And we need to hear your voice reminding us what is true about the world that we go into. That it is both beautiful because you have made it and that it is broken because sin has twisted every aspect of it. And remind us that ultimately you are working to bring everything under Christ's authority. Lord, this morning, simply let us revel in the truth that we are in Christ, that our life is hidden in his, safe, protected, and that nothing, not even death, can separate us from your love.